Hello, this is your host, Paul Harvey at Life, Passion and Business. I realise I put this at the end of the programme most of the time. And I also realise I don't often listen to the end of podcasts. So I thought I'd tell you here before we get started. So the first thing is this podcast is not supported in any way. We have no sponsorship. So if you would like to support us, do check out the Buy Me A Coffee link on this podcast app. And you also find it at the website. Okay, before I take you to the podcast, I want to give you a little bit of a reminder about the power of focus and accountability. This is the one tool that will really get you towards the goals you are seeking, towards the path you want to take. So listen to the end to find out more or check out the link in the show notes. Anyway, let's get you back to the podcast. My name is Paul Harvey, and you are listening to Life, Passion and Business, a podcast born out of my desire to find greater meaning in life at the time when I thought there was none. Since that day, I have spoken to hundreds of people. And what I have discovered is that our story is everything. Because what we do, feel or experience is based on the stories that we tell ourselves. It's time to explore what it means to live a good life. How do we make this experience better? And more importantly, how do we lead the world to a better place? In my weekend show, we were looking at the eulogy exercise because my wife is training to be a minister and one of her assignments is to create a living funeral. So the topic was in the air. If you're going to consider our eulogy, you should definitely consider a few other aspects regarding the end of life journey. You know, there's an old saying that we cannot avoid death and taxes. And the sad truth is that most people take more care of their taxes than they do in preparing to die. Only 45% of adults, certainly in the UK, have a will, an intestacy? I think it's called intestacy. Intestacy is a very messy process and the lawyers do well out of it, I can assure you. Now, but end-of-life planning really should be a celebration. It's about celebrating that last thing and having a hand in that process. Now, today we are talking about the value of planning for the end, so you can enjoy the time you have left. And it was a wonderful opportunity to bring back a guest who was last on the show in 2018. Yes, my friend Jane Duncan Rogers. She is a friend and neighbour, a guest that's not only in the same time zone, but lives less than a mile from my house. She is an award-winning life and death coach who helps people prepare well for a good end of life through her books and programs. It was the death of her husband that led her to write the book Gifted by Grief. In that book there was a chapter that explored a list of questions and how they prepared for his passing. That simple list has grown into a movement and today Jane is the founder of Before I Go Solutions, an organisation dedicated to educating people about dying, death and grief. This podcast is about living life to the full and that life will end and having a plan for an end is a parting gift to your loved ones. Check out the show to find out why. Jane, thank you so much for coming back to say hello and see how life has gone for you in the few years since we last spoke. It's a pleasure, a pleasure to be here. Delighted to be supporting you. 
<laughs> it's really fascinating for me to kind of think about this again and to do this. And it instantly thought of you and the, the work that we did together around your project. So look, five years ago, you and I, four years ago, so we were working on your project. And I always label you as the death coach because I think it's nicely intuitively morbid. <laughs> but it's not morbid at all, really, because well, the one thing is, we are all going to go. That's the only thing that we can we guarantee about. So what's it been like for five years? What's, it been, what's, what's your journey been so far since we last spoke? Yeah, well, it's um, been different from what I thought it was going to be, obviously. And um, I probably would call myself a life and death coach now, although actually I don't do personally so much coaching anymore. But one, I just want to say something about that because death, you know, when you focus on death, actually, it means you focus on life as well, because we live in a world of opposites. When you pay attention to one thing, you are going to get the opposite coming up, regardless. And that's very healthy, because one of the things that happens when somebody dies is that people quite often have regrets, maybe, about what they didn't say, or the person who's dying had regrets about what they didn't do. And it all propels you into wanting and being and setting yourself up to live life more fully uh, very important that anyway i have been living life very fully i must say so i think since then i have published a second book so that is uh, before i go the essential guide to creating a good end of life plan that that i wrote that book with the intention that anybody who wrote it who read it could actually and they applied themselves to the questions and the process in it that they would end up with an end of life plan and of course I have discovered that it's not quite as easy as that because even when people have the intention to do this getting it done is another matter mm -hmm. so, let's hold you up there I was just going to go back just to be clear because obviously some people will never have heard of an end of life plan I mean I'm talking about creating a service for myself or when I when I've popped yeah uh, but the point is about and it's that end of life plan. I mean, the service is one thing. Yeah. An end of life plan seems even seems even more sophisticated. Because, look, I'm create. What do you mean, create a plan into my life? Isn't that just bringing it towards me? Isn't that yeah. kind of making inevitable happen? <laughs> yeah. Good question. Good question. So when I first started out, which actually is about nearly uh, six and a half years now, uh, end of life planning was not a search term, no. but actually it no. is now. And what it actually means is it incorporates what you've been talking about, but it also incorporates the legal side of things. So that's a will and your powers of attorney, which are, you know, lots of people don't know about. Hardly anybody's got them done in the UK or anywhere, actually, for that matter. Um, it includes the funeral planning. It includes thinking about how you want your last days, your last weeks to be, because research has shown that if you have written down what you want, you're more likely to get it even though we have no idea how the end is going to be. Mm. Um, and we don't think about it, do we? Because most of we, we actually, you know, there, there are options that you can go out like a light, bang, my yeah. father did, like a light. Yeah. Or you can, uh, and for the benefit of my listeners who probably don't might not remember you, you nursed your husband to his last days. So you had that long protract, protracted journey of dealing with one situation after another until he left. Yeah but it can happen suddenly like it did uh, for your dad as well. And um, you would think, wouldn't you, that because me and Philip had had time to deal with things that we would have dealt with them? Well, we sort of did because it was in that time that uh, we received this email from a friend who, who had a whole long list of questions that we had to answer. And they were questions like, uh, how 
What kind of uh, coffin do you want? How do you want your body dress? What are your passwords? Really practical stuff. And we didn't want to do it. So we didn't want to do it. And she sent an email again. And she sent it three times in total before we finally <laughs> sat down and did it together. But that was the that was the start, really, of what we're doing now. Because when I wrote about that in my first book, Gifted by Grief, people, that was the bit that people... Yes, it was the only bit in the book that people were asking you about, wasn't it? All these books about grief and about, about how you dealt with it. And the bit that everyone wanted to know is, hang on a minute, this is important. I know, I need to do it too, is what they said. Mm. And so that's when I started running the courses. And that has now developed into a professional accredited training um, where we're training people to be end-of-life plan facilitators so that those people can help others get their plans done. Because as I said before, it's all very well to have the good intention. And most people have a good intention if they realize at all that this is important. But that good intention doesn't necessarily translate into action, which is the important thing. So, um, so yeah, so that's, I would say that's the main thing that uh, my time has been taken up with is organizing and promoting and running the trainings. I now have a training team, which I'm delighted about, who, who all who have done their own plan, they've all been through the training um, more than once and are now helping others learn how to be facilitators. And this is not just the UK, this is in America and uh, Canada and quite a few other countries as well. So we probably have about uh, 100 and over, well over 100 anyway, people who have trained, although probably not quite that many who are actually practicing. Um, but I think the other thing that I've seen in the last few years is, and and maybe especially since COVID, I'm not sure about that, but I think COVID made people think about what was important. I think COVID really made... brought people to focus. Hang on a minute. Uh, what am I doing? What lies yeah, about? You know what? The figures don't show that that thinking about it has translated into action. It's no, the... I know. I know. We so, want to get back to business as usual. <laughs> I, know. I know. Exactly. So one of the interesting statistics about that is in that first year of COVID, Lawyers saw, generally speaking, lawyers saw an increase of about 78%, I think it was, in people requesting to get a will done. Mm -hmm. but of those people, only a quarter of them actually followed through and did it. Now, that's an awful lot of people who know it's a good idea, know they need to get their will done, which is the most basic thing, actually, um, and didn't do it. And they probably still haven't done it. So... So anyway, to come back to the end of life plan is the, the will and the legals and um, the uh, your last days, your funeral, your legacy, like you were talking about. How do you want to be? What are you going to be leaving behind? You know, I mean, some people don't care about this, but others really care. And if you care, you have to do something about it when you're alive. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. And then also there is a whole other element that I call your uh, your household, what I call household headaches. And that is stuff like. Um, so, for example, I was left alone in the house after Philip had died and mm. I didn't know how to uh, turn on the television properly. I mean, it sounds mad, doesn't it? But I tried one day and it didn't work and I didn't have him to sort it out for me. And that when you are grieving, something as small as that can tip you over the edge into a big flood of tears. That doesn't need to happen if you have thought about things like uh where the keys are for whatever it is that you have locked up, where um, how the different appliances run. Because, you know, in a household, most people 
separate out roles. So somebody will know how to do one thing and somebody else know how to be, do another thing. What's really important, especially if you're a couple, is to understand how you do. It's not like having a house manual, isn't it, really? It's about a manual for all the things that operate in the house. It's like exactly. how, to, how to change the central heating timer in in the uh, between summer and winter. Yes. And, I mean, I, to, be, to be honest, it's a, it's a, it's a mystery because I go down and look at it and go, now how did I do this last year? I can't remember. <laughs> You're the one who maybe who's supposed to know, and yet you know maybe your wife. Yeah, has you push that button, then that one, then yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> the thing is, these little things that seem that are actually quite fundamental in our life, we don't think about them, of course. Um, but when you're grieving, they become enormous, <clears throat> and that's what can be avoided if with this kind of planning beforehand in this particular area. So um, I mean, predominantly, it's about those that get left behind, isn't it? Really, the, the lend of life plan is predominantly for yes, your it is. and your it family. Is. Um, there is a whole section about your advanced care planning, which can help in the run up to you dying about the sorts of things that you want. But the predominantly, it is it is it, this is a selfless act. Okay, you're not going to be around. Oh well, it is and it isn't, isn't it? I mean, when you say about the leading up to it, you know, it's like there is. I'm, I'm not sure. Some figures I saw somewhere I know in the US, like seventy percent of people who don't die instantly die on a respirator. Yes, I don't know about those figures, but... No, I, but that's the point. You're, you're going to be dealing with tubes and all sorts of bits and pieces and things that are just uncomfortable, and you need to be able to say, I want that or I don't. Well, ideally, yes, and that's quite a challenging thing to do when you're mm. here and you're alive and you're well, and even if you're not very well, it's not great to look for, to project forward into the future and try to imagine yourself not there. In fact, no. it's pretty difficult to do. So I don't encourage people to do that. What I encourage them to do is imagine if they had already died yesterday. What would be happening right now? I mean, obviously, your friends and your family would be, you know, in floods of tears, mm. et cetera. You, you hope, perhaps, you think. But there would be a whole lot of other practical things that would need to be taken care of. So it's much easier to think about it that way around if you're thinking about it at all. And so I would really encourage that. Um because we don't, naturally, we don't like to think about the end. I mean, you know, nobody does. I don't either. And, uh, but mostly what people do is they just um, take a quick glance and then they turn away from it and pretend it's not going to happen. And that leads to a culture, generally speaking, of not talking about death, not talking about the fact, not being able to talk to somebody who maybe has a terminal illness, um, not doing any of the practical stuff that we've done and therefore the uh, impact of death comes as a big shock mm. a lot of that is avoidable <clears throat> not not the emotional stuff okay the emotional stuff you have to go through grief no matter what whether it's anticipatory grief in the run-up to somebody dying or the grief that comes after somebody has died yes you know the practical stuff will help to deal with that but you still have to go through it. I mean, there is there is certainly a, a, a sense of well-being when you can think about that, you know, if, if the worst is to happen, that your family are safe in that, you know, your, your partner is safe and that they, they can switch the heating on and they can turn the TV on yeah. and they can do the things that need to make, make the world, make their life function and get on with getting over you. 
Yes, that's right. And so that in itself for the person who's doing their own plan brings peace of mind. It Mm. brings relief because you don't have to think about it anymore. It brings um, the satisfaction of knowing that actually, despite the fact that you don't want to go perhaps or and they don't want you to go, the fact is it is going to happen and they are actually going to be relatively well provided for in whatever way you have set that up. And most mm. people think about that just in terms of finances, you know, to make sure that there's enough money left. But that there's actually, and that's part, of course, part of an end of life plan. But there's all these other things as well that can be so helpful. And mostly people only realize this after somebody has died and they've and there's been a big mess left behind, which unfortunately is, is more often more the case. More common than not, isn't it, really? And I mean, there's been some high profile people, high profile cases, isn't there, where people have died and left one hell of a mess for the family to resolve. I mean, I can't remember. Was it one of the uh, famous singer a couple of years ago yeah. that had oh, no will? Aretha Franklin didn't leave a will and um, Prince didn't leave a will. I mean, yeah, which means a whole family can fight over who owns what. <laughs> I know. I know. And it's like. If you're thinking, if you have, if you're listening to this and you haven't got a will, the, the reason that people go on about it is because the legal complications and the time and the money that it takes to sort out an estate, even a simple one, when there isn't an, a will in place, is enormous. Now, imagine trying, imagine trying to do that at the best of times, but imagine trying to do it when you're grieving. Mm. Not great. And of course, when there's no will, the vultures will circle a bit. Yeah. That's right. Because there's a lot of money involved. <laughs> and a lot of money is relative, you know. It, you know, there might only be a few thousand pounds, but that could mean a lot of money to some people. And we can't assume that previous, um, that siblings, say, or family members who have always got on well are actually going to still get on well. I've heard some nightmare stories of blended family or not so blended families, second families where where the where the money went in a completely different direction than anyone ever expected. It's like yeah, that. exactly, exactly. And I think it it is, for some people, unpalatable to think about this, but mm. I've got a very practical streak in me, you know, and I can <laughs> see that I would want to help the, this situation, this possible situation to be avoided. Mm. Um, you know, my mum and dad, they both died. They died in 2018. They had been good students of mine. My dad had done his advanced directive, that's a living will, eight days before he had a stroke. Oh, wow, now, that was timing. I know. He ended up living, but um, although he had said he didn't want any treatment, they didn't give him treatment. They made him comfortable, but he still pulled through. Um, but he had said previously in his living will that if he got a stroke, he didn't want treatment. He just wanted to be let go. Now, when the... A surgeon or a consultant, rather, who um, the, the the medical profession have a duty of care to provide treatment all the time. That's what they have to do. Um, and but when he read this, he said it was really clear and that this was fine and that he would agree for treatment other than uh, comfort care to be stopped. And he was very grateful for that. He he took me to one side afterwards and said how unusual it was and how helpful it was to him to have some clarity written by the patient before the stroke had happened. And that made me obviously feel good about the fact Mm. about the work that we're doing. Um, But unfortunately, most people don't realise this until it's too late. No, no. 
on the real positive side, well, it's all positive. Sorry, yeah. it's all positive. But just death is not quite as positive as I would like to be. Uh, but on the real positive side, I think, and and it touches back onto this legacy thing I was talking yeah. about, is that when you do recognise there is an end. Yeah. You know, I'm sixty this year, and I know yeah. you might even be a little beyond that one. I am sick of this year. You know, and, and with the best will in the world, we've probably got somewhere around 30 years left, possibly, maybe yeah. 40 with modern medicine. Yeah. But still, it's a time limit. There is a fuse on this. Yeah. And, you know, and at some point down the line, we ain't going to have the, the, the mental capacity or the physical capacity to do things. Yeah. So we're actually putting a st- an insert going, we need to do that. If I've always wanted to go there, I should do it now while I've got the energy and, and, the, and the capacity to do it. Yeah really important and that's why people have a bucket list yeah um you know and you know people can laugh about a bucket list but the point about a bucket list is actually that if you're going to operate one is that you have been willing to accept the fact that at some point in the future you are going to die and you don't know when it's going to be it could be tomorrow um hopefully not most likely not by the way just in case you're listening in and getting worried most likely it will you will last a long time because that's what most happens to most people um, but that it's like, don't put off what you really want to do. I can remember when after Philip died, I was hor- I was horrified at the thought that I too could die. And if I died when I wasn't actually enjoying myself or living the kind of life that I wanted to live, that would be a real disaster. Mm. So I'd started filtering everything through the sentence, am I enjoying myself? Mm. Which led to me walking out of quite a few meetings, changing arrangements, <laughs> things like this, as you can imagine. But it's something I still, I'm not quite as categorical about it now, but I still think that that, that is important. I don't let things hold me back because you just don't know. And I don't want to be having regrets. No, you don't. I mean, I, I there's a, a guest on this podcast. He was my number three guest on this podcast, Simon Jordan. And I never actually got to meet Simon. I knew him for 10 years. We, we met so many times online. We worked together online. And, you know, and my last conversation with him, he was he had, was planning to have keyhole surgery in the December. And, and, and no, in December, and he, and he didn't, they couldn't do it. So he was planning. He said, I've got to have a full, a, a full Christmas dinner in January sometime, he said. They're going to open his chest up in January. And that was the last time I spoke to him and he, and he literally died within a couple of days and the, the situation had got, he had a leaky heart valve, I think. But, you know, this was a man who was incredibly fit. He did cold water swimming. He did marathon running. He did this. He did this. You know, it's like, it happens. Yeah, it does happen. And uh, it's a bit like any fear. When you're willing to turn around and face and feel the fear and face what it is that is coming towards you, then actually it has a lot less power over you and mm. you can choose to, to be in charge or control the aspects of it that you can. And that's really what an end of life plan mm. is about. Well, thank you, Jane, for taking us back through this again. It's, it's, it's fascinating to do, talk about this subject. You know, I, 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 it's to say I enjoy it is a bit, it's a bit weird, but, but it's <laughs> enjoyable having a conversation about it. So, you know, have there been any, uh, I mean, obviously you've been going a while now. Have you had any examples of people coming back to you, giving you, you know, some sort of thanks and that sort of stuff? Has, has it, has, people must have died in the process, put it that way, what I'm getting at. Yes, it's interesting that, isn't it? There's only one person that I can think of off the top of my head who's where the situation has been that somebody has died who, no, that's not true, two people that they have died and they already had their plans that they had done with us in place. Mm-hmm. 
in both cases, the family members or the executor in, in one case um, were incredibly grateful. Everything was in one place. It was really clear. It was sorted out what needed to happen, what they want, what this person wanted and the relief to be able to uh, give that person what they wanted and the solace that comes from that um, has been great. And, and I experienced that with my mom and dad as well, because of course they we had all discussed it and they put mm. everything down in writing. And so they had in the end, they died in the same week. We ended up having a double funeral, but at least I knew what they both wanted. Um, and I had underestimated completely how much comfort it would give me to know that they knew that I was going to do this for them. Mm. It's really, really good in a very difficult time, as you can imagine. One thing that does occur to me, and it's like coming out between my ship and my wife and I, because we're both talking about this at the moment, is how do you deal with with um, requests at a funeral that you don't feel comfortable with? It's like I, I, I was playing around with my wife and saying, oh, we'll have that music, because I was playing the images. I don't want to play that for you. Okay. And I was, it, was, it was a game, but I could see that, hang on a minute, what, what does happen if, if, if the service you're given? Yeah. So here's the thing. Um, again, we have to be practical and realistic here. Um, as the person who's doing the plan, you can say what it is that you want. And ideally, you'd be discussing it with people beforehand mm. and it would all be agreed. But it's not always the case. Sometimes the person who's died wants a specific thing and when it comes to it it either can't be done for practical reasons or there's too much emotional stuff going on that would allow it to be done um so frankly i don't think that the person who has died is going to probably care when they're on the other side so to speak (laughs) (laughs) there's not a lot they can do about it (laughs) there is nothing they can do about it what's really important to acknowledge here now is that actually a funeral is for the living people it's not for the person who has died. So when you're making your plan, you want to be thinking about, okay, um, yes, this song, say, this represents me. It's what I've always loved, but nobody else in the family likes it. <laughs> so maybe it can be referred to in a eulogy, but not actually played, you know, something like that. Mm. There's an element of compromise to be brought here. But I think really important to remember is that it's the funeral or any kind of marking of the occasion is exactly that. It's a marking of the occasion of somebody who has died and it's for the people who are there. Well, that's, yeah, absolutely. And then that's, it has to be done that way, isn't it, really? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, well, my, my, I said the final thing you need to come up with here is, is what is it that people can do about mm-hmm. it? How do they make, what's the next steps? Yeah. Because you're not, you're, not, you're not implementing it anymore yourself. So how do they go, how do they take this forward if they were interested in doing so? easiest thing is to go to beforeigosolutions.com which is the main website and on there you will see options which will apply to your particular situation so you can either download the um the online plan to do yourself you can train to become a facilitator you can read masses of blogs and articles to help you or you can go to the shop and get a copy of the book or the pack of we've got a pack of end of life planning cards now that's a new thing as well or a copy of the workbook which is um where you where you ha- you write ev- you, all the questions are there, you write the answers in, and that's it, all in one place. That seems pretty easy. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I will make sure those links are on the website and people can get back to you. And it's been such a pleasure to explore the subject of death again with you today. Thank you so much, Jane. <laughs> thank you very much. Bye. All the best. 
And that was Life, Passion and Business with Paul Harvey and my returning guest, Jane Duncan Rogers. If you would like to find out more about Jane and her programs, do check out the website beforeigosolutions.com. It's a great site. There are loads of resources to guide you through the process uh, with DIY, DIY guides and events and things and blog posts. So do check it out. Jane is also on most social media channels, so you can certainly find her there. As always, those links will be available at the website lifepassionandbusiness.com. Okay, as I mentioned at the beginning, now is the time to discover how to find some more focus in your life and get things done. Okay, so we're all looking to move forward. We all want to find some measure of success in the world. And if you've heard the podcast, you know I have a view of success, but that's another conversation. But the point is, however you look at this, we want to get things done. You might want to get a project over the line. You might have a really big goal that you're looking to, to move, to move forward on. And the problem is, whenever we start these projects, whenever we do anything like this, there's always some resistance. There's always something that gets in the way. And that can be a multitude of things. And, but the key to this is how do we retain focus and stay with the project and push it over the line? And that's where focus coaching can help. Now, it's a, it's a process that I discovered some 15 years ago during my coach training. And it's something sometimes called focus coaching, turbo coaching, speed coaching. And it's a really simple process where we, we define what it is you're trying to achieve and we look at the resistance that you're experiencing in that achievement, come up with some strategies to solve that resistance, commit to setting a date, and I hold your feet to the fire to make sure that you do that. So there's a commitment, there's an accountability process, and that's it. That's basically how it works. You get it done. And I can tell you, it is so powerful when you start working in this way, particularly when you work with someone who supports you in the process of doing it. And one thing to remember, you know, success is never guaranteed, but the struggle always is. And that's what this coaching is designed to do. It's designed to get you through the struggle towards the success you're looking for. So do check out the uh, link in, on this podcast or at the website lifepassionandbusiness.com. You will find a video of me again explaining this process. But if you go below the video, there's a booking link where we'll have a discussion about your project and how we could get you sorted. As always, if you have enjoyed this podcast, if you found anything here of any use, please share it with a friend because that's how people like yourself find good podcasts. If you can, give us a review. Give us a five-star review. I have to ask for five stars. Why not? I think I'm worth it. When you support a podcast in that way, you have no idea how effective it is, both in terms of supporting us on the platform, but it also makes us feel good. Yes, it makes me feel good, and I like to feel good. As always, thank you for your time and attention. I will catch you next time. <laughs>